Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. My name is George Scott, Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar, and today I'm joined by Simon von Bromley, Senior Technical Writer on Bike Radar and a regular on the podcast. Simon, good to see you again. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thanks, George. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. Looking forward to recording this podcast. And today we're going to talk about some of the kind of the the tech trends and kind of tech movements in the world tour this year. The season's just started, um, and as a, and a, as ever, there's a few kind of brands that have kind of moved about new bike brands back in and bike brands and component manufacturers that have left the world tour. But there's also a few kind of ten, uh, tech trends developing um, that we've kind of spotted over the first couple of races. So. Um, should we open the po- podcast by kind of talking through some of the key sponsor swaps? Because at the start of any season, it's always a bit of a merry-go-round as to brands in and out and who's riding what. So, what for you are the kind of the key uh, the kind of key additions to the World Tour this year? So, I think the uh, the kind of headline change to the World Tour is that giant bicycles are back in the World Tour after a, a few a, a few years out. Obviously, you know a really kind of big name in in kind of professional bike racing and have been for for you know many decades now so it's nice to see them back in obviously with bikes like the tcr which is their lightweight kind of all-round road bike and then propel their aero road bike and then obviously for time trials they have the the trinity there with uh, team bike exchange beyond that there aren't too many kind of big swaps in terms of uh, bike sponsors so that also means there are kind of fewer swaps in terms of components and wheels because as we kind of have mentioned before on the, you know, on site and on the podcast, you know, the, the rise of house brands mean that unless, you know, when you, if you swap bike brand, you also tend to swap wheels, components, handlebars and all that stuff as well. But of course, if you don't, then you don't as well. But there have been some movement around, we see uh, Sagan is out of the world tour to team total energies, which means he's taken specialized with him as a sponsor. And they, that team is now unspecialized. Um, 
team Quebec and Next Hash folded, unfortunately. So there's one less team on kind of BMC, and that also means Hunt is out of the world tour. Uh, Campagnolo is down from three teams to just two. So they still have UAE Emirates and uh, Ajay Duzer Citron, but they don't have Lotto Sudal anymore, who have moved to Shimano. In terms of kind of clothing and stuff like that, Ineos have moved from uh, Castelli to BioRacer, which is probably the highest profile kind of kit transfer. So that's um, that'll be an interesting one, obviously, because you know Castelli very famous for their kind of aero cycling kit. And so, you know, BioRacer have a good reputation for that as well, but I expect uh, Ineos will be working with BioRacer to kind of, you know, make sure that all of their clothing is in tip-top shape for important events. Uh, Quickstep are now using Castelli as well, and I think I've already spotted some of the things that Ineos were using last year in use by Quickstep in terms of clothing, so that's quite interesting. And uh, Bora have moved from Sportful to Le Col, and I think that's because Sportful followed Sagan over to team Total Energies. Uh, the only other kind of notable thing that I saw was that um, UAE Team Emirates are now using Pirelli tyres rather than Vittoria. So that's quite a big coup from Pirelli to get, you know, it's what is essentially the, the reigning Tour de France champion to, to swap tyres. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, Giant, Giant's the kind of, you know, one of the, the kind of really interesting moves there because, I mean, I think I'm right in saying it, it's been a, n- a number of years that... Um, uh, Giant have been in been in the world tour. You know, it's, it's one of the biggest brand, if not the biggest brand in the world. So it was only a year's absence for them, wasn't it? So I think it was. It, it might have been two because they were okay. they previously were with um, what is now Yumbo Vismo. Obviously, before Yumbo moved over to Cervelo, I believe. So the last the last time I remember them, you know, we see Tom Dumoulin won the Giro on a giant TCR a few years ago, um, and you know, famously won kind of the world championships on the Trinity and stuff like that. So yeah, so it has been a a couple of year, couple of years at least not you know forever and you know to be fair that the kind of the tcr hasn't changed massively since it was last in the world tour it's had a slight aero makeover but otherwise the propel and the trinity are still the same models as were last in the world tour so you know those two for example prime for an update maybe this year or next year and i and i expect you know team jaco will no doubt have an influence over those designs Mm. So um, I think it's Canyon and Specialized that, that, that are the two teams with, uh, uh, or two brands with two teams this year. Otherwise, it's kind of uh, you know one one team per brand for the most part. Um, but I think Specialized had three teams at one at one point, possibly last season or kind of kind of going back a few years. So yeah, kind of fairly a fairly even spread across the board. Yeah, and I think that that's nice because obviously, you know, as people who like to look at bike tech, it's always good to see that there's a kind of a, a spread of tech it just it just makes it more interesting and it, you know obviously when you have specialized teams especially specialized they've gone down the route of having the kind of tarmac sl7 being you know one bike to rule, rule them all and so that means you know you, most most riders will just ride literally just one bike for most of the year you might see the kind of you know specialized roubaix come out for roubaix stages and maybe a cobble stage of the tour but otherwise you know they don't have a lightweight bike an aero bike you know kind of middle bike that some of the other brands have uh so you know whereas yeah with with canyon i suppose they have their aero they have the ultimate have the endurance and so there's more scope with some of the other brands for riders to make different choices and i think you know maybe that's something we'll come on to later but you know sometimes <laughs> the riders make what i would consider to be bad choices 
so yeah, that that kind of theme of consolidation is one that that kind of runs through uh, Worldtour Tech from from top to bottom this year. And, and as you've already said, there's not a huge amount of movement with bike brands. Perhaps that's just the kind of cyclical nature of contracts this year, and most teams are tied in. But there have been a few movements with components, and as you say, kind of clothing sponsors and. Um, as we'll, we'll kind of come on to actually a few kind of personnel changes behind the scenes that um, influence tech. But, uh, you know, Campagnolo is one of the brands that has had a reduced presence in the world tour over the past decade or, or obviously longer since the, the brand's kind of uh, absolute kind of dominance in terms of the number of teams it's sponsored or supplied. Um, and Shimano has gone the other way. So um, it's two on Campag and two on SRAM this year, isn't it? And, and the rest on Shimano. Yeah, that's right. And you, you know, it's kind of hard to work out exactly why that is. I don't know if it's just because Campagnolo don't want to sort of, you know, splash the cash that's required to, you know, pay a team to ride Campagnolo or, you know, similar with SRAM because obviously I think these sponsorship arrangements will likely go well beyond simply supplying uh, group sets and wheels. That I'm sure there's a kind of cash <laughs> cash incentive as well so and obviously for Shimano being the kind of the bigger company they clearly have the resources to uh, supply all of these teams with 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 enough enough parts and enough enough kind of financial incentive to make that happen um, as you say you know I think I think Campagnolo you know down, going from three down to two probably not a big deal for them in the sense that they've managed to retain uae team emirates and and obviously retain you know tade pogacha because you know retaining the kind of person who's just won you two tour de france's on the trot i, w- I would imagine would have been their number one priority exactly i don't i don't think um i don't think campo can have too many complaints there at all if you've got two teams and uh, one of them's winning the tour de france um consistently then in you know that's all the that's all the kind of uh, you know coverage and prestige that they that they need um so yeah I mean, we've kind of given a quick summary of some of the key changes there but as i say not a huge amount in terms of bike brands but we do have a full article on bikeradar.com to accompany this with the rundown of the of specs across every team from group sets to to bikes and to power meters and wheels and, and so on and so forth but so I mean, let's kind of move on now to um, some of the kind of trends or kind of our broader observations around this year's tech. And I mean, we'll start with, with an obvious one, but with the launch of the new Shimano Durace uh, group set last last year, we're we're now starting to see all teams on on twelve speed. But I think you spotted in the early season races that the new group set hasn't necessarily kind of filtered through across the board on Shimano's teams. Yeah, so almost. I think practically everyone for road bike stages is on 12-speed rear derailers, 12-speed cassettes, 12-speed shifters. But I have spotted quite a few people running the uh, 11-tooth cranksets and chain rings. And I think that's mostly because the kind of new uh, 12-speed cranksets for the power meter versions haven't either haven't been delivered to all of the riders yet, you know, because obviously they're all, all at different locations around the world or simply you know, Shimano hasn't quite got them available to everyone yet. Um, one interesting thing to note, therefore, is that, you know, the 11, as far as the World Tour teams are concerned, the 11-speed chain rings are compatible with the 12-speed chain, which is quite, you know, so that <laughs> if you're a power meter user out there and you're thinking about upgrading to, um, you know, a 12-speed group set in the future, maybe you don't have to ditch your old power meter chain set. So, that, so that's quite good to see, although I'm sure Shimano might have an official line that contradicts that. Um, but yeah, as we, you know, there's no new group sets from Campagnolo or SRAM 
this year at the kind of top level. So I guess they haven't seen that sort of similar component shortage. I imagine most of the teams are just you know running what they were running last year. And I imagine they already had a stock of you know, chain rings, cassettes, chains, that's that sort of thing. Um, you know, one thing that will be interesting to see this year is if brands like Campagnolo react to Shimano's release of 12-speed, whether that's a new kind of wireless EPS group or, you know, as some have suggested, kind of move to kind of 13-speed will be interesting to see because, you know, Campagnolo obviously prides itself on kind of being on the forefront of bike racing technology and I'm sure they'll have been developing on something. I'm not sure when the current generation of Super Record EPS was released, but it was before or you know certainly around the time of the last shimano dura ace di2 group set so that one's looking perhaps the kind of longest in the tooth i imagine you know sram rival gives us some sort of indication as to kind of you know how they managed to slim down the shifters for that model and i wonder if there's indications that's potentially where sram will go next maybe ergonomic improvements would they add a, a you know a thirteenth cog? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we need it. Um, but I, I, I imagine if we were to add a thirteenth cog, it would probably go at the kind of higher end of the cassette, meaning you know you'll get an easier climbing gear. I'm not sure. There's too many. There's too much appetite for you know an eight tooth cog. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean it kind of it, maybe it feels more likely from um, Cambag at this stage, considering that they they have the the Eckard group set. Um, which is already already 13 speed, but you know quite quite a kind of different um, kettle of fish to kind of uh, transfer that to, to road and, and the kind of various requirements there. I mean, you, you've kind of just alluded to it there actually, but um, almost as a kind of a sub trend, 12 speed has allowed um, world tour riders and world tour teams to adopt easier gearing, so to speak. I mean, that that's quite a significant change compared to 20 odd years ago, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, it, I think it's really notable that the, you know, the new Shimano DI2 group sets, both the Jura Ace and Ultegra level are now only coming with one uh, length rear derailleur cage, which is a kind of medium rear derailleur cage. So there's no longer a Shimano rear derailleur that will only work with a cassette up to a 28 tooth. Now they all work with cassettes up to a 34 tooth as standard. And you know, if you've got a long kind of B-tension screw, you could probably even push that. So that's something, you know, if we see a kind of stage on the kind of, you know, the Zonkalan or the, the Angleru in the in the Vuelta, then that could be something that we see riders doing, kind of pushing those setups a bit further. But yeah, like, you know, we're still seeing big chain rings used up front for, um, you know, flatter stages. So Shimano has moved to a kind of uh, 54, I think 40 or a 54, 39 front tooth, front chain ring setup as well as a 36 52 so those are the two standard options now whereas you know in the past all the pros would have run a kind of 53 39 for most for most stages and maybe swapped down to a subcompact for something really 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 tough but um but yeah it you know it, it is noticeable how 12 speed you know gives you that full range of gears both easy and hard without having to kind of compromise on massive steps in the middle. Mm. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's a trend that can benefit everyone as well as obviously world tour riders. Life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal. If you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we have a couple of features in the works actually around the, the kind of evolution of gear in across the board and, and also the, the kind of different approaches um, or kind of rationales that um, Shimano and, and SRAM have used with their latest 12-speed 12, 12 group sets with, uh, as you say, Shimano kind of going with, um, uh, you know, kind of a traditional kind of 11-tooth cog on, on the cassette, but, you know, getting bigger at the other end and then uh, you know, bigger chain rings and then uh, SRAM taking the opposite approach with a 10-tooth cog and um, and smaller, smaller chain rings. So yeah, look out for those. Not to kind of spoil the surprise, but two features <laughs> coming on on Bike Radar in in the coming weeks. Um, so there you go. I mean, that's that's what we expect to see this year. Is that most teams should be on twelve speed um, very soon if they're not already. I mean, the the kind of worldwide um, component shortages. At, you know, the World Tour is not immune to that, and it's you know it's still early in the season. And I think you know it's not really something we've spoken about today, but. Um, there is always as well the factor that I think Shimano doesn't necessarily kind of explicitly sponsor all of the teams it supplies. It has sponsorship arrangements in place with some of those teams, but others also um, buy their group sets from Shimano or, or choose to use Shimano as opposed to being selected as a as a kind of official partner as well. So perhaps that's um, one of the differences between who has the components at the moment and who doesn't. Um, so let's move on to our kind of next trend, which again is one that's kind of been evident um, in the world tour over the last few years. But that's just the fact that aero is everywhere. I mean, there's there's barely a, a bike um, in the peloton at the moment that's not touched by aero in in some way. And I think the giant TCR is a bit of an outlier there in that it's um, the only regular race day bike without fully integrated cables. So, yeah, I mean, what are your kind of thoughts around the, the kind of the, the trend towards aero? Because um, as I say, that the TCR is perhaps the one that really sticks out this year. Yeah, it really is. And as you say, like it's worth reiterating that it's probably, I'm pretty sure it's the only uh, kind of you know regular race bike in the World Tour which doesn't have fully integrated cables, um, you know, for better or worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, aero is absolutely everywhere. And it has been for a number of years. And I know I kind of bang on about this, but you know the, the speeds that the world tour is raced at now is just getting higher and higher and aerodynamic drag is really the kind of number one problem you know there was a kind of uh sprint finish in one of the early season uh races a uh, few maybe a, last week i can't remember exactly which one it wasn't the uae tour it was the abu dhabi so, tour but they yeah. were hitting speeds of over you know 70k an hour in the, in the sprint and you know, when you're riding at that speed, aerodynamic drag is is the major major force holding you back. So, it's no surprise that we see, you know, every single bike is, as you say, been touched by the kind of aero wand, and everyone, you know, almost everyone is wearing skin suits, aero helmets, and all that stuff. And because, you know, things like skin suits and aero helmets and and other you know, making a kind of lightweight bike more aerodynamic 
there's there's not really any major downsides to that for a world tour pro i mean yes you know for you and i having integrated cables might be a bit of a headache if we want to you know service our own bikes or if we can't get hold of the specific size handlebar and stem that we want because you know the brand doesn't sell it to consumers or whatever but for a world tour pro you know those just aren't concerns you know it's a bit like <laughs> it's a bit like why i think world tour pros have been happy to ride tubulars for so long right because they don't have to glue them <laughs> yeah yeah we yeah, will come on to tires because i mean maybe maybe it's the beginning of the end for for tubulars i mean maybe there's no maybe about it i think we can <laughs> certainly say it is the beginning of the end for tubulars um but yeah i mean it's the whole kind of aero thing is really interesting and aero ones actually is a great a great phrase i'm going to use that one i mean the, <laughs> the aero wand also extends behind the scenes doesn't it because um of course you know bikes and and kit which you've kind of talked about with the various changes um uh, with kind of Costelli moving away from Ineos and Bioracer coming in there and the influence that has in kind of kit choice, that that is all really important, you know, what riders are using and um, and have available to them. But there are also kind of personnel changes behind the scenes um, at teams with aero consultants becoming part of World Tour teams now when perhaps they weren't in the past, you know, much like, um, you know, obviously kind of, you know, training methods and, and having kind of uh, the likes of kind of Tim Kerrison when he joined Sky as it was then, bringing that kind of, outside knowledge into a team and, and revolutionizing that kind of team's fortunes as it was you know shortly after it was launched so you know, can you can you talk through a couple of the names who have kind of come in as aero consultants and perhaps the influence that might have over what we see on a race day yeah and i think the big name kind of uh you know behind the scenes transfer from from this kind of winter is is dan bigham who has joined uh, team ineos grenadiers um you know listeners of this podcast probably have heard that name before and you know he's currently the british hour record holder which means he you know he beat bradley wiggins's mark which obviously is no, is no mean feat alone for someone who's uh who's not a world tour rider um but ineos have essentially hired him for his knowledge of aerodynamics and kind of performance and that you know they'll be using him as far as i'm aware as a kind of person to help improve the positions of their top riders you know, so obviously, Filippo Garner is considering an hour record attempt this year. Um, you know, and, and any kind of GC battle is going to hinge around a good performance in the time trial because it's a kind of controllable event compared to a road stage. You know, you, you can kind of model, you know, if anyone listens to you know, the other bike podcasts that are available, for example, Luke Rowe was saying on the his one with Gary Thomas that he, for the first time, got given a kind of uh, a you know, a cue sheet of watts that he had to produce for every kind of, you know, 30 seconds or whatever. And it gave him a predict and uh, the team, you know, all the riders are getting predicted times. You know, if you ride these watts for this set parts of the course, you'll finish with this time because we know your CDA. And so you know, this is the kind of granular level that these teams are working at now because the tools are available, you know, like, and, you know, performance modeling is something that we could all do, you know, the websites like we're uh, like, uh, oh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there are performance modeling websites that you can go use and you can plug in the numbers and they'll spit you out a kind of a cue sheet and, and it'll give you a, a kind of predicted time. But this, yeah, this stuff is just so important. And, and if, you know, obviously 
the benefit of hiring Dan Bigham is that he can't then go work for another team. <laughs> mm. And I think that's probably the reason behind it. Whereas if you just kind of consult with them, then they can take their consultancy services to another team and, and, and obviously give those same advantages and then it's no longer a kind of advantage. So I think that's that's the kind of reason we're seeing it. And yeah, there's, um, I know Bert Blocken of the University of Eindhoven works with Jumbo Visma and they have a kind of 3D model of Roglic, which they put in the wind tunnel when Roglic is not available. <laughs> um, obviously, Dr. Xavier Disley, who we've had on this podcast before, uh, who is of a UK-based aero coach, also another kind of aerodynamic consultant, uses the kind of Garmin aero track system sells their own kind of you know range of aerodynamic wheels and parts we see a lot of those used by world tour riders and you can kind of you know alex dalsett for example uses aerocoach ascalon extensions and you can you can kind of spot the riders who have consulted with aerocoach by their kind of use of unbranded parts you know tom dumoulin was using an aerocoach titan front wheel in the recent uae team uh, uae tour time trial for example so <laughs> you know the, these kind of people get around and um last year you know aerocoach was officially partnered with quebec next hash but obviously with their demise they're kind of you know xavier dc is kind of back on the market now so um, <laughs> maybe he'll get snapped up next year mm, yes it is it is kind of fascinating if you are in into the kind of um the performance side of things and 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 the the kind of the lengths that teams go to 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 kind of pursue those that these these kind of behind the scenes transfers are you know clearly not as important as rider transfers and who you have on the on the roster but have a massive part to play on um on 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 the end result and yeah particularly in time trials i think there's 53 kilometers of time trials in the tour this year um on the opening stage and then the, the penultimate stage um, but yeah, as you say, clearly that's an area that can be kind of modelled to the absolute kind of nth, nth degree. Um, is it is it best bike split out of interest? That's the, the one. The best website? bike yeah. split. Yeah, and 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 it's funny because I've been a, you know, I, I've had an account with that for a while, and I have even modelled performances at the Chew Valley Lake TT, which is uh, my local <laughs> midweek time trial, just for fun. Um, and it's it's really interesting. It's a really interesting bit of tech, and it, it can be surprisingly accurate. You know, if you put good data in, you get good data out, and it and it, it's that kind of whole idea of getting, you know, specific targets that obviously it tends to be. You know, you push a little bit harder on the uphills, and then a little bit less on the downhills, and which you know most kind of experienced racers will know. But knowing exactly how hard to push on the uphills it just kind of helps take that guesswork out of it. And so, yeah, uh, obviously for a world tour rider, these are the things you have to learn. I suppose it's a bit like formula one drivers kind of memorizing a course, you know, a, a kind of world tour time trialist is memorizing power intervals for their TT and memorizing the corners and stuff like that. And so it, it's not just a case of, you know, you go out and ride as hard as you can from point A to point B, the, you know, the kind of top teams are really, breaking it down to this kind of granular level looking for the gains mm, mm. i mean you, you kind of um you mentioned it earlier in terms of kind of non-sponsor correct kit um and how that's kind of influenced by kind of aerodynamic uh choices or, or decisions um i mean where else do you expect us to see kind of non-sponsor correct stuff this year because i mean go back a few years and and you could you could see kind of saddles with logos scribbled out and and you know kind of all, all sorts going on but yeah most teams are locked into kind of uh you know very 
tight sponsorship agreements now and as 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 we said at the start you know that can extend from um shimano for example from the group set to um uh to to wheels and uh through kind of the pro component brand into to saddles and handlebars and actually it leaves kind of very little room for for riders to kind of choose their own kit so are there any any kind of particular areas where you expect to see some uh some kind of deviation from the contracts this year yeah so time trials is one area where you tend to see more deviation because i think you know the teams are so acutely aware of of how much um you know, the kind of marginal gains matter in in those events you know there's no kind of hiding when you're out on your own and so we have seen for example Yumbo, Fisma and obviously uh, Team Ineos Grenadiers using obviously you know, technically they're sponsored by Shimano but for the past few years they've been using a kind of range of wheels um Jumbo Visma have been using Aero Coach front wheels and I believe Roval, which is obviously specialised rear disc wheels. Um, Ineos have used a kind of mixture of Aero Coach front and rear wheels as well as uh, kind of you know, Princeton Carbon Works wheels, which appear to be kind of Garner's favoured wheels. Um, and obviously lightweight wheels. Ineos have famously used those in the kind of in the tour and major climbing stages. So it will be interesting to see you know, with the release of Shimano's new wheel sets this year, and, you know, those are kind of filtering through teams like um, Alpecin Phoenix, for example, it'd be interesting to see if Jumbo Visma move to those new wheels and same, you know, same with Sky, uh, Sky, <laughs> Team Ineos Grenadiers, uh, move to those new wheels or if they kind of stick with their, you know, unbranded, unbranded wheels whatever whatever they might be for you know Yumbo used a lot of vision wheels in the Tour de France for example so it'd be quite interesting to see where that happens now at, at the start of the season so far both teams seem to be using the new Shimano wheels but obviously you know when the kind of real crunch time of the Tour de France comes where there's you know more on the line then it will be really interesting to see what people do I think beyond that it will be things like um you know I swear we've seen Alex Dowsett wearing no pin skin suits uh, AG2R riders also wearing no pin skin suits and yeah lots of unbranded sort of time trial extensions armrests that sort of thing because often you know often those will be custom made for the rider and so you know it, it's not something that say you know Pinarello doesn't necessarily you know they, they're not going to have it stock in their in their thing in their kind of uh product catalog so then if you want a kind of custom made tt extension it has to be sought from elsewhere for example um so but yeah uh, obviously as you say like we see we kind of see less and less non-sponsor correct saddles and things like that these days because you know mostly because i would say that the saddles from most brands these days are actually pretty good and i and i expect that you know while some riders may have a really strong preference most of the big saddle brands you know whether it's specialized physique or whoever they have enough models in their range of enough quality that most riders can find something that works for them mm, yeah and yeah it's a really good point you know, most most brands offer most shapes and whips and and short saddles and you know everything a kind of a rider could want so i think yeah you probably have to be quite particular now to um to to kind of to go off track um i mean this the same kind of applies to to, to shoes to a large degree and you know some some teams and riders have specific arrangements with with shoe brands but we've also spotted a couple of new shoes um at the start of this year haven't we so there's it looks like there's a new s fire on the way but then there's also a new s works 
shoe from Specialized potentially on the way. Yeah, that's right. And both of those are kind of BOA dial equipped all round road racing shoes. So I'm sure they'll be light, well ventilated, very expensive, stiff soles, that sort of thing. Um, the, you know, obviously the Shimano RC902, very good shoe. It looks like a reasonably minor update to, to that shoe in terms of it stays with the same sort of two BOA dials up top with another kind of wire lace that runs around the kind of forefoot area. I wonder if there'll be some adjustment to the fit perhaps of that one because uh, the RC902 got notably narrower compared to the RC901. And obviously any time you change the kind of fit of something, there'll always be you know some people happy, some people unhappy with that. Um, as for the specialized shoe, I think you know the, the specialized S-Works 7 has been out for a couple of years now at least maybe even more than that. And so I think it's probably just one of those things where they think it's due an update and they they think they can make some improvements, but it, I don't think it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not in, it's not going to be necessarily as groundbreaking as maybe the, the Ares or, you know, some of the Exos 99 shoes, for example, this is more of a kind of middle of the road standard all, all round, you know, top tier road racing shoe. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye out for those. I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll hopefully hear more um, from Shimano and Specialize on those in the in the not too distant future, and and perhaps what's under the surface there. Because yeah, as you say, particularly with the Shimano shoe, doesn't look like a huge uh, a huge update on the face of it. Um, so yeah, you, you spoke a moment ago about um, wheels, and and perhaps as we kind of get closer to Tour de France time, we'll start to see whether the likes of Jumbo Visma and Team Ineos Grenadiers. Um, perhaps start to, to dabble in non-sponsor correct wheels, but you know, wheels of, uh, are obviously kind of linked and um, chosen also in terms of compatibility with, with tyres and, and tubeless is one of the key trends that we've seen um, across the road cycling world um, for more than a decade, even if the adoption has been, been very slow up until now, but really starting to gather pace in in the world tour so you know i think it's fair to say that we expect to see the majority of teams on on tubeless this year yeah and from the early season races certainly which have been mostly you know mostly flat that that seems to be holding true um the thing that kind of seems to have converted a lot of teams is the 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 new gp continental gp 5000 str tubeless tire um it's a you know it's a very good tire and we we have a nice review up on biteradar.com written by myself um it's a very fast tire i think the perhaps the thing that's convinced a lot of people is it's quite a lightweight tire i think a lot of world tour riders would perhaps have been concerned about the kind of you know the weight difference between a tubular wheel set and a tubular tire system combined and a kind of tubeless wheel set and a tubeless tire combined so taking you know continental knocked kind of 50 grams off the weight of a you know, set of tires. So that becomes quite significant. And obviously with the advent of things like hookless rims and in just kind of other advances, tubeless aero wheel sets are getting lighter as well, which I think helps. And obviously the kind of the, the DP 5000 STR had a really good start to its life by winning Paris-Roubaix and <laughs> in its very first kind of, you know, debut road race under um oh what was the it's sunny cobrelli of course and so i think that that probably helped but um but yeah i 
another another thing that I think has helped massively is that previously Shimano didn't offer tubeless high spec tubeless ready race wheels whereas now with their new 12 speed group sets they do and so as you as we kind of mentioned earlier a lot of with a lot of pro teams being sponsored by shimano you know if your wheel sponsor doesn't make tubeless ready world tour level race wheels then you're kind of either left to upset your sponsor and go use something else as you know some of the kind of bigger more influential teams can do or you're just kind of stuck with tubulars to a you know which may have been perfectly fine by some of the riders i'm sure as as kind of alluded to earlier if you're not gluing tubulars they you know they they, there are (laughs) it's less of a hassle using them i mean do we expect to see uh oh i think we possibly do expect to see because you've spotted it any um kind of specialized sponsored teams on on tubeless this year because that's one of the brands that kind of dabbled in tubeless but actually um at world tour level has reverted to clinches and kind of claimed that they're faster but i think you spotted bora running tubeless tires in in a couple of the early season races yeah a few people have have spotted that and i think that certainly seems to be something that i'm sure uh specialized sponsor teams are probably almost demanding i would have thought because you know a a kind of cotton tire with a latex tube is incredibly fast and has a great ride feel but it doesn't offer the same kind of durability as a tubeless setup and i think you know notably teams like bora hansgrohe and quickstep alpha vinyl didn't put in especially great performances at last year's paris roubaix it was quite notable how you know everyone was was running tubeless almost for that race uh, with a couple of teams on tubulars and obviously those two teams on clinches and you know while one race doesn't obviously determine whether a wheel and tire system is good or bad i expect that not having the choice to do tubeless when the teams want to is probably something that the teams you know like if if every other team can do it then those teams are also going to want the opportunity because you know the, the teams never want to fall behind the rival so i'm sure it's something that specialized is is investigating now whether they are running tubeless they you know on wheel sets that are already existing and that you know because we it's it's wheel sets like the kind of alpinist and the roval rapid clx's for example which already exist in the wild but they're you know nominally clincher only even though they have what looks like a very tubeless specific rim so i don't know if there's kind of been some updated internal testing or perhaps it's just a kind of you know the same wheel set profiles with a new carbon layup that enables them to maybe retain their kind of you know low weight qualities and still offer tubeless compatibility we'll have to wait and see but i yeah it might it does kind of look like specialized might be about to kind of come back around to that because you know i think when those wheel sets were launched we were all a bit surprised because specialized had previous to those been making you know quite a large song and dance about how tubeless was going to take over the the world tour peloton and it was the kind of new big thing and you know they had their two bliss moniker for their you know s-works turbo tubeless tires um and how those tires were kind of superseding their s-works turbo tubulars and their um s-works turbo cotton tires uh clincher tires so yeah i i i think while that was an interesting kind of 
step in the market the, the the trend for the rest of the market in terms of you know where tire manufacturers are going you know if continental had told us for example that there was no plans to as at the moment no plans to update the standard gp5000 clincher and that they feel the the new gp5000 str tubeless tire just covers both you know because mm. it can be run with an inner tube so I, I i think the direction of the market has is still the momentum is with tubeless still and and mm. while you know clincher systems are still you know very fast very light very convenient to work with they're not you know they don't by design because they don't have kind of sealant in them they don't offer that same level or balance of maybe speed and puncture protection that a tubeless system can offer and so and, and you know, as, as, as with tubulars those kind of setup issues are not issues for the pros so if they feel like there's something to gain they can just ask their mechanic to do it for them and mm. they don't have to worry about incompatibility you know, they don't have to worry about spraying their kitchen with sealant <laughs> or, you know, you know, or the if the sealant dries out, they're not the one who has to take the tire off, clean the tire, replace it all. So it, 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 if there are clear advantages, then the World Tour pros are going to are gonna want them. Yeah, and it's an it's, uh, interesting point as well around the, the kind of the, the wider market forces and, and, you know, what's really, you know, what's really kind of pulling the strings in terms of the you know, demands from riders you know the demands from from brands the demands from consumers um you know often uh you know the, the kind of trickle down effect is 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 very evident in terms of what appears in the world so often always kind of trickles down to to the rest of us consumers eventually but you know sometimes things do kind of work work the other way as well you know with with, with disc brakes possibly being an, an, an example where um, brands have have heavily pushed disc brakes on consumer bikes and um whilst there are lots of benefits they're now absolutely kind of dominant in in the peloton and perhaps tubeless is, is another example there um i mean one one point we did want to talk about that you know isn't necessarily a, a tech trend at, at the moment but that is interesting nonetheless in the kind of wider kind of um world tour kind of scene and, and a kind of broader trend around races but you know perhaps one day might kind of uh, have a, a kind of a, a wider tech influence than what it has at the moment and that's the kind of concession to kind of gravel or kind of gravel light with of course strada bianchi has been hugely popular since that race was was launched and um you know now kind of effectively has kind of you know monument status in the eyes of of, of lots of people as a, as a one-day race but also the the kind of the spanish version of strada bianchi as it as it was dubbed that ran in in february i think was very popular with both um both both fans watching and and with riders so um you know we haven't really seen a huge amount here perhaps apart from um teams going up a tire size and, and and tubeless perhaps coming even more more relevant but you know what are your thoughts that on the on the kind of use of gravel in 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 world tour races or, or kind of pro races generally and, and could there be a tech impact there as well i think i think it's kind of one of those things where at, at the moment the tech impact is relatively small because the gravel sections take up you know kind of relatively little amount of you know if you've got a 200 kilometer stage and then the gravel section only lasts kind of you know five kilometers and it's at the top of the mountain at the end of the day does it make sense to optimize for that final five kilometers if it costs you so much energy throughout the rest of the day perhaps like then maybe not but if we're going to see more races like strada bianca and you know more instances of cobblestones being added to the Tour de France and things like that. Then I think it could. I think what would be really interesting to see is is how popular the the new UCI gravel series is and and what influence that has on World Tour races. Because 
I think if that is very popular and, and you know, and ultimately if, if it's popular with audiences, it will be popular with bike brands and then bike brands will then ask their teams to, you know, to use th- this stuff in, in world tour races as well. So, you know, like it's, it's a really tricky one. I know from the rider's point of view, it kind of, you know, I've spoken to pros before like Marcel Kittel, who, who sort of told me that he thought, you know, cobblestone sections don't belong in races like the Tour de France because they're dangerous. And, and, and obviously, you know, no one, I don't want to see any riders kind of crash or anything, but like this whole argument that, you know, races shouldn't be decided by kind of good or bad luck or whatever. I'm not entirely sure I really buy. I like the idea of, and I'm sure most audience members do like the idea of, of these kind of gravel sections introducing elements of, you know, luck essentially, because, you know, that's, it's for that reason that time trials can be quite boring for a lot of people because, you know, as, as we kind of said earlier, you can put down on a spreadsheet what the riders are going to do and then it, and it generally happens. So there's not, it's almost like you're kind of, you know, you're running cycling in a simulator, whereas gravel sections introduce this element of kind of randomness. And, and obviously while it's, you know, I know that, you know, people will be, oh, we don't want to see races decided by a puncture, but you know, whilst we're on tech, you, if you, if you don't want to be the one to suffer a puncture, you could run heavier gravel tires and, you know, a, a system which has more protection, you know, you can, you know, f- with sealant, for example, you can run more sealant if you're concerned about punctures, uh, but it does add a little bit of rolling resistance. So for a time trial, you, you know, you're balancing that how much sealant do I run in my tires versus, you know, how little can I get away with for the lowest rolling resistance? And so I think, you know, one of the things from a tech perspective that Gravel offers is there it creates uh, kind of risk reward choices for for the teams and for the riders. And so personally, you know, I like I said, like I don't want to see people moaning about oh this this gravel section caused me to puncture because it's like well if you're going to run on this gravel section with a 25 millimeter road tire, then you know that's that's an equipment choice. That's not bad luck in my opinion. Now, I haven't raced a world tour. <laughs> and I'm sure that, you know, if there are ever any world tour riders listening, they'll think I may be talking a load of rubbish. But that, you know, as I said, I, I think it, it introduces kind of elements of of kind of change into, you know, what, what otherwise can be kind of stale racing. And so, yeah, I hope we do see more tech concessions to gravel in the future. And so, you know, by extension, more gravel and more kind of interesting ideas added to races. Now, you know, we have seen in the past sort of cobble sections added kind of unintentionally to time trials and things like that. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a good idea. But in your regular road stage, having gravel sections needn't be necessarily an issue. It's just something new that the teams and riders have to adapt to. And I think that is what makes it interesting for the consumer. Mm. And, you know, yeah, as you say, you know, tech or kind of equipment choices need to be made on, on a kind of on a on a daily or a race car, race by race basis, you know, not not just because of the addition of gravel or, or cobbles or, or anything. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's a, it's about balance, I suppose, isn't it? You know, we, we don't want the, the UCI World Tour to be the, the, the new UCI kind of gravel series. But I think, yeah, that kind of idea of kind of of jeopardy is really kind of important in terms of um you know, I'm not advocating that every stage is like, uh, or every race is like Paris Roubaix, but you know, one of the reasons why Roubaix is great is because you have that kind of that that build up of 
of jeopardy ahead of the couple sections and through the race and then it you know builds to the to the real kind of crescendo as as you kind of approach Roubaix so um yeah you know I think of course we're not riders but I think the kind of fan point of view is is really important as well um I mean just just finally the the the, the kind of the last point that we wanted to talk about and we we couldn't go through this whole podcast without talking about <laughs> disc brakes um but as we've said you know disc brakes are completely dominant in the world tour or in the men, in, in the men's world tour in, in particular now um and you know i don't think we expect that to change on a on a kind of general kind of day-to-day or race by race level but you know do you expect rim brakes to be used uh, at all in any scenarios this year because there were there were a couple of occasions where teams who were mostly on disc did switch to rim brakes um with um uh Tade Pogaccia in the uh in the mountains at the Tour de France being being uh the most kind of notable example yeah and I and I think that will, will those sort of instances will really be the only situations we'll see uh rim brakes this year and it will be really with the kind of couple of teams that have a choice um some some viewers might have noted uh, Pippo Garner getting disqualified from a, an early season race for swapping from a disc brake to a rim brake bike <laughs> in 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 a mid stage just before a kind of like key final climb. Now the UCI deemed that as not allowed. Not it wasn't that rim brakes are banned. It's just that um, you're not allowed to swap bikes unless you have a kind of you know genuine mechanical. Uh, so the rule goes. Um, but I think that kind of gives us an indication that. You know, Team Ineos still have their rim brake bikes available to them. And I expect on those days when they consider that weight is important above all else, as with Tadej Pogacar, as you mentioned, in the Tour de France, I suspect we will still see a couple of rim brake bikes here and there. But it is important to note that a lot of teams as you say, for, for better or worse, simply won't have the choice this year. You know, the Scott Addict RC that's uh, ridden by, is it Team DSM? For, you know, they they don't have a choice. There's no there's no rim brake version of that bike. Similar with Cervelo and uh, Jumbo Visma, uh, they won't have a choice. And, and you know, that'll be the case for most brands. Um, now, you know, from my point of view, I think, you know, were, were I a pro, I wouldn't be choosing to ride rim brakes because I think you know all of the latest development in terms of technology is being put into disc brake bikes and more importantly disc brake wheels and so I think the fastest wheels and the fastest bikes these days are going to be the disc brake ones and swapping back to it what is essentially old technology just to save you know obviously with the UCI weight limit that limits what you can save if that was not to be there then you know the differences would be bigger and I suspect we might you know the balance might tip a bit more on certain stages but considering you can get a kind of you know a tarmac SL7 or a a specialized tarmac SL7 I should say or a Canyon Aeroad CFR down to you know essentially the UCI weight limit with disc brakes and aero wheels you know I just don't see the point of, of a rim brake bike really but you know not every team has access to a canyon aerode cfr or a tarmac sl7 for example and and other teams disc brake bikes may weigh a little bit more so that's the only thing i think we will still see a few rim brake tt bikes because obviously there's been a a little bit of discussion about time trial bikes in kind of uh, the cycling media recently for good reason 
you know, one of the things I think, I think for me, the most noteworthy point about, you know, TT bikes is that they're a bit of a dead end for manufacturers now. I mean, regardless of whether we think we should get rid of TT bikes, I suspect manufacturers would be quite happy to because they don't seem to be that keen on designing new TT bikes for UCI World Tour races. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I can see why, because like who buys a UCI legal, you know, time trial bike? It, it, you know, if you live in the UK and you take part in the time trial scene, you don't have to ride a UCI legal bike. You know, the triathlon market is much bigger and, you know, companies like Pinarello, for example, already have a Pinarello Belide Tri with disc brakes. Same with Scott. They have a plasma, obviously, which is you know far more radical than the Scott plasma that um, Team DSM will use. You know, BMC Time Machine will be ridden by uh, AG2R, and I'm, I'm sure the riders there will have a choice of disc or rim brake for the tt bike but we still you know i've seen a lot of riders using the rim brake bike probably because it's lighter but but uci legal tt bikes are really becoming a niche thing so we're seeing you know the giant trinity is a good for five years old now and we haven't seen a disc brake version from them but it'll be really interesting to see when giant does eventually update that whether it updates it for the triathlon market and uci or whether it kind of just goes well forget about the uci because it's holding us back from making a really fast bike mm. and yeah i mean we you know we, we we aren't focused on triathlon on um on, on bike radar but we, but we do quite often cover um uh kind of uh you know non-uci legal kind of time trial or triathlon bikes on on the site because you know they do have relevance for riders who are riding non-uci time trials but also it's it's interesting to kind of keep an eye on the the kind of developments out of um uci constraints and you know may, maybe one day we'll kind of see that um kind of extended to, to kind of world tour level if the uci kind of relaxes its grip there but um yeah as you say a few kind of rim brake tt bikes still in circulation but disc brakes across the across the board for the most part this year so I think we can we can leave it there, Simon. That's uh, yeah, I think that's a really good kind of roundup of some of our kind of um, well, firstly some of the key sponsor swaps and brands to look out for this year, but also some of the key uh, trends and, and kind of broader observations that we're looking forward to uh, to kind of keeping an eye on through through the 2022 World Tour season. So really appreciate your time, Simon. It's been been, uh, been great to have you on the podcast again. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year. Hopefully, a less COVID affected pro racing season. Yeah, I think that's something we, we can all agree on and, and, and we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for, for listening. We always uh, appreciate uh, you kind of tuning into the podcast. And remember, please do uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Uh, do leave us a review. It really helps us. We value your feedback and it also helps us in, in the rankings and, and gets more people listening to the Bike Radar podcast. So once again, thank you very much and we will speak to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.